for our first wedding anniversary, my wife and I decided we were going to take a trip. We were living in central Illinois, and it was a, a several-hour trip to get to Branson, Missouri. Now, we got married the day after Christmas in 1998. And so we got married the day after Christmas, and our anniversary, obviously, is the day after Christmas. We get up uh, for our anniversary, we drive the, I think it was like oh, 13 hours to get to Branson. We drive all the way across the state of Illinois, all the way across the state of Missouri. We finally get to Branson. Now, as smart as we were, we decided to visit Branson after Christmas. Let me tell you what's happening in Branson after Christmas. Nothing. Nothing. Half the stores at the outlet mall were even closed. Nothing going on in Branson after Christmas. So we actually ended up renting a Nintendo system uh, from the uh, local video store. And we sat there and played Nintendo all week because there was nothing to do. No shows. Uh, theme parks closed. Like I said, half the stores at the, at the outlet mall were closed. It was just, it was like, what are we doing here in good old Branson, Missouri? Uh, in fact, we rented the 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 condo that we rented, or the, the cabin that we rented, we saw this brochure, and we're looking at this brochure, and it looks so nice. These wonderful-looking cabins out in the woods. This is going to be great. Well, we get there, and we see the beautiful cabins in the woods, and we drive right past them. We're like, you're down the road a ways. What do you mean down the road a ways? It's, well, your price range, and the, the cabin you rented, is not one of these nice ones. It's the concrete bunker in the back. Those aren't in the brochure, by the way. They don't show you the concrete bunkers. Well, that's where we stayed, hunkered down in our concrete bunker playing Nintendo the entire week. But I noticed something on the way there that was really cool. They, they took me back to when I was like a little kid, you know, a little boy. And uh, we go back in time and uh, we see these signs, danger, blasting zone. Do not use your cell phone. And I thought, Man, what happens if somebody has an emergency, they don't see the sign, and they, set up, and they end up blowing up half the state of Missouri because they made a phone call to 911. But anyway, they had these signs that, that they, were gonna, they were blowing up the, the, the hills in order to make wider roads. And I thought, that is so awesome. I'd, I would love to see that. Just to be you know, watching for, from a relatively safe distance, but to, to feel the impact you know, and to, and to see the, road, the, the mountain blow up, man, that would be so cool. All that power, and you know, you think about it, we love things that blow up, don't we? Every 4th of July, man, when we moved, we, in Minnesota, there are no legal fireworks, like none. And so it's very quiet on the 4th of July. You can go to the towns, you know, they have their uh, 4th of July celebrations, and they, they do the ooh, ah thing, you know. But we moved down back to Indiana, where, you know, <laughs> anything goes, and I remember first year living here in Griffith on the 4th of July. We went down to my folks' house in Crown Point and watched my brothers blow up a bunch of stuff. And then we came back and driving back into Griffith, it was like being in downtown Baghdad circa 1992. I mean, it was like a war zone outside. I mean, everything going off. I thought, man, my little baby is never going to fall asleep tonight. I don't know if I'm going to fall asleep tonight. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> We love things to blow up. We love things. We love demonstrations of power. When we're little, you know, my little guy, he loves powerful things. Big trucks and trains and stuff like that. that just, we love things that are powerful. You know, we go to the zoo and we walk into the, the lion uh, exhibit, the big cat room at the zoo, and you see those big cats and you think there's no way that those bars could hold that animal that powerful and you hear the roar and it's we're just impressed by demonstrations of power and yet we 
in our lives as Christians sometimes feel so very powerless. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to talk about having spiritual eyes to see. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We started a new teaching series last week on the book of Ephesians called Who We Are in Christ. Because I believe that as Christians, we have an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are in Jesus. We don't know who we are in, in the Lord. We, we don't know. And so one of the things that we find out in the book of Ephesians, over and over and over again, Paul talks about who we are in Christ in Him, in the Lord, in Jesus. And he talks about our identity as Christians. And I think it's very important that we kind of get over this identity crisis and we figure out who we are and what God has created us to be. So today, we're going to look at the next passage. We looked last week at Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, and we talked last week about who we are in Christ, six, six attributes of who we are in Jesus and today we're going to move on and look at the next passage. We talk about, we sang the song earlier, Open the Eyes of My Heart. This is the passage from which this song was written. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. And we're going to read together the first couple of verses, verses 15 and 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let's stop right there. There are some characteristics of a first century letter that we see in the first 16 verses of Ephesians. The first thing is the author of the letter would identify himself. And if you look back at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He identifies himself as the author. The next characteristic is the recipients of the letter to whom he was writing. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Next would be a blessing. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then we see the invocation of a deity. And he talks about God and Jesus. Uh, and he invokes uh, their names in blessing the Ephesians. Uh, the next section is a personal section where he gives personal greetings. And then finally, thanksgiving. These are all the characteristics. If you read the different letters of Paul, you will find these different characteristics uh, in these letters. He identifies himself. He identifies his recipients. He invokes the name of a deity, uh, God and Jesus. Um, and then he uh, gives some personal greetings and some thanksgiving. And here we get to the thanksgiving part of it. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So why is he giving thanks for the Ephesians? Why is he giving thanks for them? A couple of reasons. One, because of their faith in the Lord Jesus that they received, uh, that has brought them salvation by God's grace. And secondly, because of their love for all the saints. Their love for God and their love for others. They were growing in their faith. They were growing in their love for each other and for other churches scattered throughout uh, Asia Minor. So you have this, this wonderful greeting from Paul to the Ephesians. Now, how did, know, how did Paul know uh, in, in the previous verses, verses 13 and 14, he talks about the shared inheritance that we have, this inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. And he says that the Ephesians shared in this inheritance. Well, how did he know this? It was because of the evidence that he saw in their lives. Again, growing in faith in Jesus and loving others. Their, their love for all the saints in Christ. So this is the reasons, these are the reasons that he is giving thanks for the Ephesians. Because 
They're growing in faith, and they're growing in love. Which really, when you think about what being a Christian is, in this marathon of the Christian life that we're, that we're running, when you think about it, that's what it's all about. Growing in faith and growing in love. Becoming more like Jesus. The passage that Albert read earlier for his communion meditation talked about uh, growing in love, to be imitators of God, be more like Jesus, and live a life of love. And that's really what being a Christian is all about. It's growing in faith and growing in love. And these are the reasons that he gives thanks to them. And then he says, uh, I, have not, uh, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in verse 17. May give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom to make good choices and revelation to know God. That God would reveal himself so that their knowledge of God would increase. So these are the prayers that Paul is offering on behalf of the Ephesians that they would have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. Now, is he asking God to fill them with his Holy Spirit? That's not what this means. You see, we find out in verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1 that they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. When they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now Paul is asking God to fill them with the spirit of revelation and a spirit, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That God would reveal himself and that God would give them wisdom. This is in addition to the Holy Spirit that had already filled them. That God would reveal himself and that he would give them wisdom and knowledge. And then we have this beautiful word picture that Paul paints. In verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That they would have spiritual eyes to see. That they would be able to see that which God had wanted them to see. In the, in the understanding of the Greeks, the heart was the, the center. The, the heart was from which everything flowed. Uh, the heart was uh, the heart and the mind together and the soul made up the, the person. It made up who we are. And, though, and so Paul wants the, the eyes of their heart, he wants the, the very center of who they are to be able to see and to be able to know something. And we're going to talk about what he wanted them to know for the remainder of our time. If you will look on your bulletin, on the very back page of the bulletin, you'll find the handy-dandy outline, today's handy-dandy outline. And there are three things that Paul wanted the Ephesians to know and that we need to know. The first is that he wanted them to know God. In verse 17, he says that, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That God would give you knowledge and wisdom and understanding and revelation to know him better, to know God. That is the first blank on your outline, to know God. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34, Jeremiah wrote, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, uh, sorry, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You know, there are different levels of knowledge when it comes to relationships in our lives. There are people that we meet who we may be casual acquaintances with. It's, you meet somebody, hey, how you doing? I'm Sean. How are you today? 
Good. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. You know, where do you live? I live in Griffith, Indiana. You may know these things about me. You may know a few things about me. I may know a few things about you. And, and maybe we're just kind of casual acquaintances. Not a very deep level of knowledge of one another's lives. Some of you know me better than others. But, you know, that it's more of a surface kind of a level thing. And then there are people that we're like really good friends with. There are people that we have a deeper knowledge of, of the relationship that we have. People that kind of see you uh, sometimes at your worst, most of the time at your best. Maybe it's somebody here at church that you get together with outside of church on a Sunday morning. Go out to dinner every once in a while. You know, they may have seen you kick your dog once or twice, but, but that's about it. Then there's the people that you live with. It could be your parents. It could be your brothers and sisters. It could be uh, your spouse. It could be your children. They see you kick the dog a lot. Okay? These people have a deep knowledge of you, an intimate knowledge of what you're really like. They see you at your best. They see you at your worst. And they love you anyway. You don't know why, but they do. So these people are the ones who have a real deep, intimate level of uh, intimate knowledge with you. They know you. They, they know you. That deep knowledge, that deep level of intimate knowledge is the level of, of intimacy and the level of knowledge that God wants to have with us. He wants us to know Him. That we would know God. To know what He is like. To know what He does. To know how He operates. To know how He moves. To know what He says. To know how He wants us to live. God wants to have a, a deep relationship. He doesn't want surface level. Hey, God, how you doing? Good. How are you, Sean? Fine. Okay, good. Have a good week. Thanks. That's not the kind of level of, of relationship that God wants to have with me. He doesn't even want to be good friends. Hey, Sean, did you catch the Packers game last week? Sure did, God. It was great. What are you doing after church today? Well, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to eat lunch, and I'm going to get some stuff ready for my Bible study tonight, and then, uh, you know... How are you doing, God? I'm good. You know, everything's going great. The universe is going fine. All right, cool. All right, holding it all together. Awesome. He wants more than that. He wants to know me. He does know me. He sees me kick the wall. I don't have a dog. He sees me. He knows me. But he wants to be known by me. He wants me to know him deeply. To care about the things that he cares about. To love the things that he loves. To care about the people he cares about. To know how he moves. To know what he does. To know how he acts. To know what he says. God wants to know me. And he wants to be known by me. I have to surrender and submit and open up my heart to him. That I may know him. That I may go deep with him. So if I were to ask you today, how many of you, how many of you feel like you know God? I mean, really know him. You may think, well, I, I don't know. I, I really don't feel like I know him at all. Let me tell you how you get to know God. If you want to know God, then you need to get to know Jesus. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is God. And if you want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. I have a challenge for you this morning. Okay? 21-day challenge. Three weeks. There's 23 days left in the month of January. You can begin this challenge tomorrow, and by the end of this challenge, you will know God better. I promise you. Read the book of John. There are 21 chapters in the book of John. 
You can read one chapter a day for the rest of the month, and you will read through John's account of the life of Jesus Christ. Read through the book of John, one chapter a day, and you will see how Jesus interacts with people. You will see how Jesus interacts with his Father. You will see what Jesus is like. And when you know what Jesus is like, you know what God is like. Read the book of John. And I want to know, I want to know if you did it. I want to know how it went. And you will know God better by reading his word and by looking at the life of his son. You will know God better. So that's my challenge to you. Read the book of John. Read it from whatever translation you like. You want to read from the King James, from the New Living Translation, New International Version, New American Standard Bible, uh, the message, whatever you want, whatever you're comfortable with, just... You know, uh, people will sometimes argue and fight over what version of the Bible. Oh, uh, this is God's Bible. This is the one that he likes the best. And, and this is the one we should all read from. And you know what? The problem is, is that people will argue about what version of the Bible to read, and, but they won't read their Bibles. It doesn't matter what version you think I should read. If I'm not reading my Bible, if you're not reading your Bible, it really doesn't do us any good. So just read your Bible. Start with the book of John. 21 chapters in 23 days. Can you do it? Any of you thinking about taking the challenge right now? Any of you thinking about doing it? All right, cool, very cool. All right, 21 chapters, 23 days, you can do it. By the end of January, you will have read an entire book of the Bible. You might get a, a shiny gold star in your chart in heaven. Probably not. But anyway, there's no chart. Um, so the first thing we want to do is we want to know God. The second thing that Paul wants them to do, that he wants them to know, is he wants them to know hope. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He wants us to know this hope. And we've talked, last month we talked about hope in Christmas. And we talked about that hope is not a wish upon a star. It's not a dream. Hope is a confident expectation that something is going to happen. And I, I want to tell you what's going to happen. I want to read for you uh, from... Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. See, there are people who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this is our hope. And so we will be with the Lord forever. We will be with the Lord forever. That is the hope that God wants us to know. That is the hope that Jesus wants us to understand, that he wants us to know, and that he wants us to, to have. That we have a real hope, not a dream, not a wish, but a hope. A real hope. And there are people living in this world who have no hope. They have no hope at all. What happens after you die? Well, I don't know. I really don't care. I want to live for today. I want to live for the moment. I want to live for right now. There are people who have no hope. What happens when you die? I don't know. They just cease to exist. Well, what hope is that? There is real hope that is found in Jesus Christ. The promise that he made that we will live with him forever. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says this. It is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. In His Word, He has revealed to us this hope that we have in Jesus Christ, in His Word, that we have real hope and that we can't even imagine. You know, we sing the song, I Can Only Imagine. <laughs> no, no mind has conceived what God has prepared, that God has prepared something so great. And you know how I know it's true? John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to give you a little heads up, a little jump start on your John reading, okay? John 14, 1 through 6. Do not let your heart be, hearts be troubled. Jesus is talking to his disciples the, right before he's going to be crucified. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you and for you and for you and for y'all in the balcony, my balcony bunch. God is going to prepare a place for us. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, anybody want to say it with me? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know how to get to heaven? you got to go through Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the hope that we have, that he has gone to prepare a place for us and that he is coming again to take us home, to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That we will dwell and live with God forever, forever and ever. You know, Jesus said it. It's true. I believe it. Jesus is not a liar. He has not lied and said, well, I'm going to go somewhere and I'll prepare a place for you and then I'll come back to get you. No. It's absolutely true. Jesus is coming back, and this is our hope, that we will be with him forever and ever and ever. The last thing that God wants us to, that Jesus wants us to know, that Paul wants us to know, the third blank on your outline is to know power. Verses one, chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Let's start in verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The third blank on your outline is to know power. There are four Greek words that are used in this passage. Four Greek words that are used in this 119 through 23 that talk about power. The first is dunamis. Okay? And it literally means power. And it's from which we get the word dynamic or dynamo or dynamite. We were talking about dynamite earlier, blowing up stuff. That's what we're talking about. Blowing up the Holy Spirit, blowing up our lives with power, filling us with power, explosive power, dunamis. The second Greek word, energeia, which means energy. It's, it's a motion kind of energy, that we are filled with energy from the Holy Spirit. Third word, kratos, which is strength. He talks about mighty strength, and that's the last word, is iskus, 
which means might. And he talks about this mighty strength that we have. So we, we got the, the power of dynamite, the Holy Spirit power of dynamite within us. We have the Holy Spirit's energy within us. We have the Holy Spirit's mighty strength in us. I mean, we are empowered people by God's Holy Spirit. And yet, we feel so powerless. Powerless against temptation and sin. Powerless against doubt and despair. Powerless to love and to forgive and to to grow in our faith. We feel so powerless. We feel like spiritual weaklings. I don't have any power. You know, it's like down here there's an outlet, okay? And uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six outlets in it. And if I have a, a... a battery, uh, not a battery operated, that wouldn't make any sense. But if I have a fan, okay, let's say I want to plug my fan in. And I go, I, I don't, I, my fan doesn't have any power. My fan won't, it, it won't turn, it won't, my, my fan has no power. And you'd point and say, Sean, there's six outlets right there, five of which are available. Just plug it in. The same thing goes for our lives in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we can say, I don't have any power in my life. I'm not, I can't overcome sin. I can't overcome temptation. I can't, I can't forgive that person. And I can't love these people. And I, I can't do this and I can't do that. I just don't have any power. Quit your whining and plug into the power. Because God, in, in the heart of every baptized believer, has placed his Holy Spirit, the power source, the, the dunamis, the energeia, the kratos, the iskus. We have all this power in us and we won't tap into it. And so you know what? you got to pray. You need to sit down with God in prayer and say, God, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Transform me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Change me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Give me the power to overcome sin. Give me the power to repent. Give me the power to love. Give me the power to forgive. Give me the power to grow in faith. We have such a need for the Holy Spirit to just explode in power in our lives and we're afraid to tap into it. We're afraid to do these things. We need power and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to call on the Spirit. We need to submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're afraid to talk about the Spirit. Ooh, the Spirit is scary and mysterious. No, the Spirit is in you. The Spirit is in me. We have the Spirit. We have the power. We don't plug into it. And so we feel weak and wimpy. No more wimpiness. No more weakness. It's time for power. It's time to get powerful. It's time to have the power of the Spirit filling us and changing us and transforming us and making us more like Christ. Amen? Come on now. Let's get the Spirit going. Let's get the power going. We need power. And God has provided all of the power that we need. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, he says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and by the way, it is, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. The Spirit lives in us, and it is the same Spirit, and by the power of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. If the Spirit of power, if this Holy Spirit is, lives in us, and it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus, if it has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, it has power to give life to our lives. I believe that. So call on the Spirit, call on God to fill you with His Spirit, and let the Spirit change you and transform you and give you power. Paul closes this passage and he reminds us that Jesus is Lord and King. 
Jesus is Lord, and he is ruling, and he is reigning. In verse 22, it says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That God has raised him from the dead and placed him at the right at his own right hand, and he is holding the church together. He is holding us together by his love. He is holding us, he is holding the universe together. That it is the power of God, it is the power of God in Christ that created all things, and by him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. That Jesus Christ is ruling and he is reigning at the right hand of the Father. And the question is, will he rule and will he reign in your life? So my prayer for you today is the same prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. My prayer is that you would know God, that you would know hope, and that you would know power. And that that power would transform us and change us and make us like Jesus. May he rule and may he reign in our lives this week and in the days to come as he rules and reigns over the universe he created. Let's pray. Father God, help us to know your power. Help us to know you. Help us to know you. Help us to know real hope, the hope that you have told us about in your word, and help us to know the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Change us and transform us. Make us more like Jesus. We thank you for sending him to die on the cross for our sins and for raising him from the dead, for raising him by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would raise us from the dead. For Father God, we are weak and we are powerless, and we are spiritually dying. But you, by your Holy Spirit's power, can raise us from the dead. So we pray that you would raise us and that you would revive us and that you would revitalize us this week. Help us to submit and to surrender to your control that we might follow you all the way to heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.